0: and if you guys will we're going to get into Romans 7 this morning and uh, again we're into the second section of the book of Romans and uh, we went through chapter 6 uh, we introduced chapter 7 last time and now we're going to start getting into the details here um, as we come into our identification truths This second section is uh, tremendously important most grace believers, or most believers, I should say, never really get out of the first five chapters. Uh, they, they learn about their justification. And then the natural urge is to run right to chapter 12, verse 1, and uh, that is to go do your reasonable service. And they skip chapter 6 through 11, and you need 6 through 11 just as much as you need chapter 1 to 5. Uh, in order to do your reasonable service, chapter 12 to 16. If you don't have 1 through 11, then your service is going to be very frustrating and uh, very much a a frustration to you. Thus, when you get frustrated and you get uh, that little word called discouragement comes into play, and then discouragement says, I quit. And then you quit doing... Instead of pausing and going back and and saying, wait a minute. Because when you get into the identification truth and you begin to learn who we are. That's why in chapter 6, Paul does that, know ye not. Know this, know that. you got to know. reckon this, likewise. Think about it like this. Then here in chapter 7, verse 1, know ye not. Now we're going to get to the second issue here uh, in in that. And in chapter 6, again, we find that we are dead to sin. Our relationship to sin is a dead relationship. It doesn't say that sin is dead. Sin is much the enemy. That's why, if you look there in chapter 6, if you look there in verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. (laughs) It didn't go away. Our relationship to it is what the issue is. And that's there in in chapter 6 there. In verse number 2, where he says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So our relationship is dead to sin. And again, and now as we come into chapter 7, if you look there at verse number 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So now in chapter 7, we have another death. We're dead to the law, that operating system, the program. So in chapter six, you learn to play. You, you learn about your position. Okay, we, I was we used on Monday night. Most of the young people play softball, so I was using a softball analogy. We learn to play third base. Now in chapter seven, we're going to learn to play by the right rules. We're going to play by softball rules of the game rather than football rules. Okay. So, again, there's there's an issue here in our identification, in our understanding of who we are in Christ, that we have to get clear that we're playing under the right program, the right operating system. In chapter 1 to 5, we learn that Christ died for our sins. So the the penalty of sin has been taken care of. In chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're learning also... That he took care that his death also took care of the power of sin in our daily lives. Again, dead to sin, we're going to be dead to the law. In chapter 8, we're going to find out that we have another death that's dead to the flesh, yet we're what? Alive unto God. Chapter 6. We're alive unto we're alive through Christ. Chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, we're going to find out that we have. A, an additional power source introduced to us, and that's the Holy Spirit, okay? So uh, kind of a recap there, and, and as we go into this in chapter 7 now, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then so then, if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from, the lo- from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren? Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And that's the... Get into these details here. Um, Again, we're... uh, We look last time at the reason why we need Romans 7. Well, that's because of chapter 6 and verse 14. In chapter 6, verse 14... Paul says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Okay, why doesn't sin have dominion over you? For ye are not under the law, but under grace. The first time that we begin to read anything about our relationship to the law. Now, in chapter 2, we've read a little bit about the Jews and the law and everything. But Paul, for the first time here, in chapter 6, verse 14, says something here about the law. And how it is that we're not under the dominion of sin, dead to sin, is, and sin can no longer exercise its authority or its power over the believer today, it's because we're not under the law, we're under what? Grace. So we have this, this, new, this new program that's being introduced to us called grace. And again, by the way, notice a pattern just real quick. Look. Look at 6, four. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Well, now watch. Even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. How are we going to walk in, in what? Newness of life. Look at chapter 7. Look at verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should... Notice, serve in newness of spirit. So in six, we learned to walk in the newness of life. Now we're going to learn to serve in the newness of life. Come over to chapter eight and look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we're learning something here in the section. We're learning what it means to walk what it means to serve, and what it means to be led. And it's a critical point here in our development. I, okay, I tried to, you know, chapters 1 to 5 were in that courtroom, and he's legat, the legalese and all the legal jargon and so forth that Paul's doing, improving the case and pointing it. Now you come out of chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified. By the way, if you're not justified, what where, where do you got to do? Go back to chapter 1. Start over. <laughs> OK? The assumption by Paul coming out of, out of one to four is that you're what? Justified. Now because you are justified, the next growth, the, the next issue in our growth is going to is the identification. and, and so forth. So uh, quickly, just a reminder the, the outline of the chapter, the first four verses. Here's the declaration. Here's our position. What are we? Dead to the law. Verse 4 there. Then you start in chapter f- verse 5 and run down to verse number 12. And here is the description of things and the provisions that are ours being in Christ and through Christ. And then in verse 13 to 25, we see the application of it. We see the product that's here and the application in life. And again, these identification truths are so critical in your growth, in your development. Because what happens in life? Things come up in life, and we, we have a natural tendency to do what? <laughs> respond in that old nature, don't we? See? And Paul's like, well, wait a minute, you have a choice here. You can, not coming out of chapter 6, you can respond here, you yield your members here, or you can yield your members there. If you yield your members to the flesh and that old nature, death is the result. If you yield to who you are, the new man, the new nature, the new creation, then guess what? The result is everlasting life. It's life. And again, it's a newness. It's not rehab. It's not a refab. It's not a redo. It's a newness. It's a new thing that he's doing here. So in the first... In here now in chapter 7, again, the, 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 Paul's using an illustration in the first four verses. And uh, just need to notice this real quickly here first. He uses an illustration of marriage, if you notice that. And he uses it just as it is, an illustration. He doesn't use this to teach you about marriage, okay? If you use this passage and think about marriage using this passage, you're you're improperly using the references. Paul deals with marriage in 1 Corinthians 7 and in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. This is illustrative only. so quite frankly, it's dangerous to go through these verses and try to use the, this information, this doctrine, and place it into marriage. All right? Paul is only using the, the issue of marriage between the husband and the, wife, and, and the woman, the wife here, as an illustrative purpose only. So first, let's leave it there. Okay? In chapter 6, we learn we have a new reality, we have a new identity, we have a new life in and through a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in chapter 7, we're going to learn that that new reality and that new identity we learned about in chapter 6 comes with a new program that's going to enable the newness of life to become a reality in our lives on a day-by-day basis, okay, okay? You follow? Trying to get you thinking, all right? In chapter 6, he says, you're dead, you're buried, you're planted, you're raised, you're alive, you're free. Chapter 7, you know what he says? That old operating system that God downloaded for the nation of Israel, he's downloaded a new operating system and we're to use that and we're to plug into that in order to have that access into the new identity. To reflect and enjoy the new identity. You understand that. I have an iPhone. I used to have an Android. I like my Android better. But I had got talked into an iPhone, and that's fine. But I had to do what? I had to learn something different. The problem is is that I liked a couple apps on my Android that won't work on my iPhone. Well, they're making that, no, the the patches didn't work. So I had to leave them on my desktop. (laughs) Okay, you go get an iPro or a Mac or something, and guess what? Things don't work the same program-wise. Why? Different operating systems. They're not designed to work. They're, They're not compatible. And I know people hit p- p- patches and they've developed that stuff, and that's fine. but the point is, is Mac Pro, Apple is designed to run one way, the PC world's designed to run a different way. What did God do? He downloaded a program for Israel called the Law. We looked at it last time, the if and the then, that conditional relationship. And then he says, "But I got a new program called grace and it's not a conditional relationship it's an unconditional relationship and it's based upon the free gift that i give you when the law says do grace says it's already done we went through that list last time you with me you got remember that i hope oh please please say yes make me feel good today thank you okay see when the law when the law says do it or else grace says it's already done in romans 7 that's the point Here's, what, here's the download of the new. Now, Paul is going to give us a great illustration here when we get down in, the, in, 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 in verse 5 to 12, 13, 14, 15 there, 16, about the frustration that he learned. Because you know what he did? He made the mistake and tried to operate in that law system, and all it left him to was old wretched man that I am. See? He got... He, so if Paul can make the mistake of bringing in the law, so, so can you and I. You're, you're, you are not holier than Paul, okay? All right, you're far from it. So am I, but you, you first, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, the thing is, is in, so in Romans, so we talked last time about why Romans 7. I gave you a few things. I'll give you three more this morning of why seven sits right where it sits. Why does he put it in here? Why isn't this chapter in chapters 9, 10, and 11, okay, where he talks about the dispensational setting of Israel and what's going on with them today? Why is it seven? Well, the first of the additional, so I guess this will be like five or six here, the law is never the means for restraining sin and for doing good in the life of the believer today. Okay? So the law, why Romans number one here, the law is never the means for restraining sin and doing good in the life of the believer today. What did 6.14 tell us? For the sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you're not under the law. If you're under the law, what's going what's to happen? Sin's going to have dominion over you. What does the law do? You're guilty, you're guilty. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt. It's pointing that stuff out, and so sin continues to have its grip. If I'm under the law, will sin have dominion over me? Yes, you will. Now, by the way, Paul's going to say some negative... Come back over to chapter 7. Paul's going to say some very negative things about the law in chapter 7. Yet you, can't, you have to remember verse 12, 7 12. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Is the law in of itself holy, just, and good? Yes. Well, who's the problem? The sinner is. That's the problem. Man's the problem. And God didn't download that for today. He's downloading something else. So when God gives us eternal life, the life of Christ, there's a new operating system that he's going to give us that allows us to have that access. If you remember back in chapter 5 and verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Access. Pull up the PC, I don't like Macs, so pull up the PC, and what can I do? I can access everything in there, as long as I can remember my password. (laughs) I had a password one time that was incorrect. So when I would put it in, it would come up, password is incorrect. Oh, that's right, incorrect. (laughs) That's a joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, jeez. All right, easy over there. Oh, man, Steiner Rose going at it today. That's okay. So the, so 614, if the, if, if the law is going to have dominion, if the law's in play, you can't restrain sin. You can't go do good in the believer's life. Number two, the law is not the means of access or reflecting the new relationship that we have in Christ. That's why here in chapter 7, the first four verses, Paul uses marriage as an illustration of this. Okay? A marriage is a tremendous illustration of the relationship that we have with Christ. That new relationship now. And uh, it describes, I mean, if you think about marriage, it describes The love and the tenderness and the intimacy between two. What do you have with Christ? Same relationship. You come over to Ephesians 5. Marriages sometimes fall apart, don't they? Sometimes trouble comes in. Yet our relationship with Christ will what? Never fall apart. Never have trouble come in that messes with it. But just notice something in Ephesians 5. When I talk with the young couples that are going to get married, we spend all of our time right here in Ephesians 5. People say, oh, you don't go to 1 Corinthians 7? No, because usually they're not in those conditions in 1 Corinthians 7. Okay? But everyone's in Ephesians 5. Look at verse twenty. Oh, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Boy, what a relationship we're to have with with each other. Way before we ever talk about marriage, the submission to one to another. Isn't that interesting? Then he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto who? Notice it's unto the Lord. It isn't unto your husband. Say that? It's unto who? It's unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of who? See, now he's going to bring in this relationship, and, he's, and Paul's going to say, okay, wives, husbands, look at the relationship between Christ and the church. You're to have that same relationship, that same thing here. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Notice how he says, wives, you're going to be in a role unto the Lord. You're doing it to your husband. Husbands, you're in a role now, and you're going to do it unto your wife. But the great example is the relationship between Christ and the church. It's fascinating to me. You take the most intimate relationship that two can have, and Paul parlays it over, and he says, it's, you're going to see it? Here it is. Verse, here's the standard, Christ and the church. Look at verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Isn't that an interesting thing? What happens in marriage? You become what? Well, you quit playing single tennis and you play double tennis now. Great illustration of marriage. Instead of it's I win, I lose, now it's we win, we lose. Why? Because we're bone of bone, flesh of flesh. We have this oneness. Verse 32. This is a great mystery. I love that. (laughs) Paul's like, he's talking about marriage and relationships back and forth here. And he says, this is a great mystery. But. I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's not even talking about husbands and wives. He's talking about what? That relationship between Christ and the church, the body. No other illustration that can be more demonstrative and reflective of our relationship between Christ and the believer, the church, than marriage. So in Romans 7, the first four verses here, when he talks about marriage... He's talking he's illustrating out the relationship here that we're to have between us and the law us and grace. What's the relationship that we are to have to the law? verse seven four Romans 7:4 what are we? We're dead aren't we? where we've God has severed the relationship to the law. He's severed the the old operating system. Why did he do that? Well, because of chapter 6, verse 19, that infirmity of the flesh thing, issue there. You see, the infirmity of the flesh, we talked about a couple weeks ago when we went through this, the infirmity of the flesh, it, it, I try to drill down simple little things. The infirmity of the flesh simply is our gravitation toward The external outward performance. The infirmity of the flesh is give me something to do so I can go do it. That's what the law says. When we looked at the law last week, what does grace say? There's nothing for you to do. It's already been done for you. So what does our flesh do? Well, that can't be true. I got to have something to do. That becomes an infirmity becomes a detriment because what are we always trying to, we're trying to do something. And when you learn who you are in Christ, you say, wait a minute, I already have now out of a heart of gratitude, grace motivation, what can I then go do what needs to be done? The law says do it or else you don't get the blessing. Do it or else you're going to get the cursing. The law says it's already been done. I'm sorry, grace. Thank you. Grace says it's already been done. You're complete. You have all sufficiency. You have all blessings. It's done. So now, remember Ephesians 2.10? Look at Ephesians 2.10. See, you can't get to Ephesians 2.10 without going through Romans 6, 7, and 8 first. Why? Because Ephesians is after Romans. Duh. Natural reading. But what happens? Everybody runs to Ephesians 2 instead of going through 6, 7, and 8 and getting the understanding down in them. Look at 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. If we're his workmanship, what are we? Know ye not that we are to walk the what? The newness of life. We're that new creature, his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, where is our identity? In Christ Jesus Unto, what? Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So there's some good works that God ordained before, before what? Before the foundation of the world, that we should do what? Go walk in them. But I can't do that until I understand that I'm, I'm what? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So when you come back here to Romans 7, the law says the law can never allow us to access this relationship that we have in Christ. Grace says, for wherein we have Romans 5, 2 there, we have access by faith into this grace. Grace says, wait a minute. It's all, you're not going to go do the good works because you're trying to gain something, which is what the law says. We don't operate under that principle. We're under, operating under the principle of grace, which is a free gift. It's been done. So now I'm going to go and do what I'm supposed to be doing with a mindset of understanding that I ain't getting anything. I've already gotten it. I'm understanding 2 Corinthians 5. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Again, the greatest commentaries on the book of Romans is 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. Not Stam and Newell and all those other guys. Good reads, don't get me wrong. The greatest commentaries are right here in your Bible. Dad Dad used an illustration one time years ago. Has to be because it was years ago. And uh, if if you're ever stuck on a desert island and you can have one book, which book would you want? You'd want your Bible. Everything you need in it is contained in it. You don't need anything else. It's all right here. You just got to get in it and study and see how it operates. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead and that we died and that he died for all that they which what see how you got a dead class and a live class dead dead to what dead in what sin dead in the law no act no life you come to Christ you trust him now what are you you're alive to God, the Father, you're alive through the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're alive in the power and the source of, center of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 7, and 8. Thus we thus judge. Thus we ju- how we think about it, discernment, that's judging, judgment. When you look at something, you think a certain way about it, and you judge it. You say, we're going to do this. Have you ever noticed, what, go to the mall, when you go to the mall, and you have to open the door. Do you ever notice which door you go to all the time? You go to the same door every time. It might not be the same set, but in the set, you go to the same door because you have a prejudgment that you go and do this. Try and change it, it's interesting. You know what you do? If you're right-handed, you always reach for that right-handed handle and you, every time. Why? Because your dominant hand is what, and you open it. Now you may go to different sets of doors, but it's very interesting. If you're left-handed, you go left-handed. You can't reach over, right? What? You guys looking at me funny? Well, well, if you go to the auto door, then then obviously that's going to be that way. you know, only, yeah, the lazy ones touch it. Yeah, you know. We, Linda and I came out of a restaurant the other night, and uh, I hold the door for, for her to come out. Well, then another party came out, so I just held the door. And there was a young man that came through, and I said, you're up. And he goes, I'm up for what? I go, it's your turn to hold the door. He had no idea. They don't teach that to kids, to hold the door for people, you know. And I'm just standing there holding the door and the lady, you know, the common joke, new job. (laughs) Yeah, five bucks, let's go, you know, slam the door in your face, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But the thing, my point is, is we have, I don't know what my point is. (laughs) The thing is, is accessing here. We have some good works. Verse 15, keep going. That we should not henceforth live unto what? Themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. When you come to an understanding and an appreciation for what Christ has done for you, what God has done for you in Christ, the Father and his Son, filling you, giving you the Holy Spirit, that power center, you need that power center to take the word of God off the page, make it become real in your life. When you understand that, you know what? You're going to say, what can I do? And it's not going to be driven by law, fear, if and then. It's going to be driven from a heart of gratitude. That's why Paul tells Titus, he tells Timothy, man, keep, constantly remind them of good works. Why? Because it's coming from a heart of of gratitude, of appreciation, of a thank you, Lord, <laughs> you know, of, a, of thanksgiving. The infirmity of the flesh comes along and says, go back to Romans 7, what do I have to do? Give me something to do, preacher. Grace says, there's nothing for you to do. It's already been done. The flesh says, no, I'm supposed to do something. And grace says, You're complete in Christ. It's done. So the infirmity of the flesh is to immediately gravitate toward a position of do's and don'ts. So the law is not the means of access to that new relationship we have in Christ. Because what's it doing? Do, do, do. Grace says it's done. Enjoy it. Reflect it, live in it, bring it into your thinking. That's tremendously wonderful because it takes the onus off of all right. I, the, what we dread doing. Now we do it because it, the verse over there, faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. Those three marks of spiritual maturity that Paul lays out. So, we can go now and have a heart of that love of Christ constraint, the heart of gratitude, of saying, Wow, he did this. Look at what he gave me. Identification. Now I can come over here and work and do for him and know that all has been taken care of. Now, the third component here, you're back in Romans 7, I hope. The law is not the means by which a father and a son relate to each other. A father and a son can only relate to each other in, in the grace program, the new program. As a believer, the law makes demands, the do's and the don't. And again, what is the result? frustration, absolute, total frustration, condemnation. Why? Well, what did 614 say? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? You're not under the law. You're under grace. If you're under the law, if you get back underneath that law, by the way, that's where most of Christianity is today, back under the perform, you didn't do it, you didn't do it. You know, I heard from some folks this morning, they're not going to be here today. And I'm like, all right, I'm taking attendance, you know. That's a joke between me and them. It is with you guys, but that's most churches do what today? Count them. All right, they've missed three weeks in a row. What's going on? Shame, shame, shame. Exactly. Now, notice this relationship issue. Notice the emphasis here on our relationship to the Father. It'll only happen in the, in, in, under grace. Look at verse 1. Now you, know, now you know, uh, know... I'm sorry. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that a law hath dominion over a man as long as he what? Liveth. Now watch. For the woman... Which hath a husband? Watch the illustration. Is bound by the law as long as her, as long as uh, to the law. To uh, I'm sorry. Is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is what? Loosed. You see that loosed. Okay. Verse three. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is, what's that word? Free. From that law. Notice we have two words here talking about relationship. Loosed and free. They're they're similar, but they're completely different. In the illustration of the husband and wife... The wife is under the authority of her husband as long as he's alive. But when he dies, two things happen. Loosed and free. Follow that. So if we are, verse 4, dead to the law, what are we then? Loosed and free. Loosed. 7-2 here. The law, that word loosed... Tells you that the law is not a permanent institution that God gave and that God established. You okay, follow that. It's not permanent. If it was permanent, you could never be what? Loosed. You'd always be chained to it. We find our relationship that we have to Christ. That that relationship now severs all of the ties and the contract, uh, the, the, the legal authority, the legal jurisdiction of the law over our lives. It's been severed. We're loosed from it. By the way, how are we loosed from it? By death. Again, functional death here. Not physical death, because I still look at you. <laughs> Some of you I'm wondering, though, you know, <laughs> okay? You look like death warmed over, all right? Hey, easy back there. See okay. <laughs> no, what are you here? You see, law, the law is not a permanent institution. We're loosed from it. By what, again? By death, Identify, I- identification here. Then he says in verse 3, that she's free. But what is she free? Look at verse 3 there. But it, In the middle of the verse. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another. The wife is now allowed to establish a new relationship. She's allowed to go do what? Marry another. What the Lord's pressing here, what Paul is pressing here is, is that you have been severed from any legal obligation to the law. You've been loosed from it so that you can now go and establish a new relationship. A new, something new here. You're free to go and be united, linked married to that's why he's going to say in verse 4 that you should be married to another by the way you're not the bride of christ people use this verse to say oh they're the bride of christ go read revelation it tells you who the bride of christ is okay that new jerusalem coming down there all right so don't you know keep your it gets frustrating at times for me, anyway. Maybe not you. You go, what is he talking about? Don't worry about it. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, you're better off. <laughs> okay? But the thing is, is you have this new relationship with, the, with a person, by the way. Notice. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Now, again, this isn't the church the body of Christ. Paul's talking about the what? The finished cross work of Christ. That issue back there in chapter 6 that we learned about, that co-oneness, that we that co-identification that we have with his death, burial, and resurrection. Side A of the cross dealt with the penalty of sin. Side B now, chapter 6, 7, and 8, is going to deal with the power of sin, the identification. And he says, hey, because he went and died, now... You're what? Loosed and free. Look over at chapter 8 of Romans. Chapter 8 and verse 3. He says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh again he's talking about the issue of the death burial and resurrection not the church the body of Christ but who he his what he accomplished at calvary so don't when you come back to chapter 7 here again chapters 1 through 5 Christ dealt with the penalty of sin the cross work Six, seven, and eight. He's dealing with the power of sin, and it's defeated, and he's dealt with that. So don't bring, you know, don't read one to five into six through eight. Okay, remember that what cross, what the cross did for us. What did it do? It took care of both, and here it's freed us from the law. Go back to chapter seven. Look at verse four again. it, set, it loosed me. By the way, Ephesians 2 over there, look at, look at Ephesians 2. I told you, I showed you a minute ago, verse 10, how you have to have Romans 6, 7, and 8 to get to 2.10. Look at 2.14. For, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What did he do? He loosed us from the law of, of circumcision having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. There's the free to go do what? Be married to another. Have that new relationship. And that he might reconcile both God, both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. See, if you don't have Romans 6, 7, and 8, Ephesians 2 ain't going to make much sense to you as far as the depth of what he's doing in it. Come back to chapter 7. 7, verse 4. A lot's going on at Calvary, folks. You've got to pay attention to that. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. What's the declaration? What's the purpose? You're what? Dead. Dead to the law. By the body of Christ, by the cross work of Christ, the finished work of Calvary, he not only set you free from sin, but he also took care of the the legalese, and he set you free from the law. That. Catch the that. There are two that's in this verse. The intent, the purpose, the reasoning. That. What's to happen Because we are now dead to the law, what's to to happen? That you would be what? Married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. You can now go and have that new relationship. That intimate, tender, kind, loving relationship. There's no longer a a divide between we now have a new identity we talked uh, talking about marriage there singles tennis doubles tennis when when <laughs> when the when you got married if you're married when you got married you formed a new family unit you formed a new identity take uh What makes uh, purple? What's the colors? I just had it. Blue and red. Red and blue. You take red and blue, red, blue, and you put them together, and what do you get? Purple. You get a new color, don't you? Do you know that you can't pull red and blue out of purple? It can't happen. It's purple. That's marriage. took two people. Their own free will to say, I want to get married. And what happened? One color, new color, new identity. What happened to you and I? When we come underneath the new program, you know what we understand? We have a new relationship, don't we? We came from out here, and now we are a new identity. And it's all because of Calvary. It didn't anything you did. That's what the law, the law says you've got to do. Grace says, it's, I already did it for you. That's why you read over there and Paul says they've become the enemies of the cross. And talking about the Jews. You know why? Because what did the law say to the Jews? Do or don't do. What does grace say? It's already done. Just believe me, just trust me. Because of Calvary, we're now to take on, we can now take on his life, his identity. (laughs) I was talking to one of the young couples that got married about a little over a year ago, and uh, they uh, have distinctively different backgrounds. And uh, I was talking to them, and I said, now listen, you're going to bring stuff from each background, and this is going to look like you guys. It isn't going to look like your mom and dad or your mom and dad. It's going to be you guys. And he goes, good. <laughs> and I was like, real? Okay. Well, because the different backgrounds carry different things, some good, some bad. And what do you do when you red and come in there and make that purple color? You have that that's there. Now you have a now you have new identity. You have new DNA. You have his DNA. So when they have children, what's going to happen? you got their DNA. Okay? You, if you look at my uncle, my mom's oldest brother, I look just like him. But then you look at me and you say, well, you look like your dad. But you look at me in certain, certain pictures, and I look like my Uncle Bentley. Why? Because I got a piece of Uncle Bentley through my mom, through Grandpa. And I have a bigger piece of my dad. So you put my brothers, the three of us together, we're bookends. Boom, boom, boom. Okay? That's the way we are with Christ. Ray, notice verse 4. Got to keep going here. They, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. It's fascinating. Paul keeps talking about resurrection. Raised from the dead. Why does Paul keep talking about being raised from the dead? There's a key communication issue here. There's a key doctrinal point you got to take care of. And notice, because it goes back to chapter 6, verse 4 where he talks in chapter 6, verse 4, that Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. And we talked about that. That isn't the issue of glory in the heavenly places and all that. And it isn't the power that God the Father could raise him up. By the way, Christ had the same power. He gave him, he, in John he says, he gave me power to, 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 to lay my life down and to take it back up. It isn't that, it's rather the plan. The glory plan. By the way, look at verse 6-4. The dead by the glory of the Father, even so what? We also. And we talked about that. God didn't just resurrect his son to give him eternal life. He already had it. He did that. He resurrected Christ because that was the glory plan. That was the wisdom plan of the Father all along. Then he says, I'm going to give it to you also. He says, listen, I got a plan here for the church, the body of Christ, believers, that you know what I'm going to do with them? I'm going to resurrect them too. And I'll be honest with you, folks. When Paul talks about the first fruits of the resurrection, yes, he's talking about Christ, but he's also talking about you and I. When Paul, go back to 7.4, when Paul talks about being raised from the dead, he's not talking about being raised to give you eternal life. He's talking about resurrecting you based upon the plan and the glory of the Father. He had a plan to do it for his son, and because we're in his son, we are joint heirs. He got it, we get it. The co-oneness. Never based upon anything you do but based upon who you are in him it's done you see folks when Christ walked out of that tomb you walked out of that tomb with him and again only paul tells us this you never find this in Matthew Mark Luke and John you never find it in the old testament in the passages written to the gen- talking about the gentiles by the way god talks to the gentiles a lot in the old testament especially in the prophets. He looks at, oh ye nations, hearken ye here, listen. (laughs) See, here Paul says, listen folks, we got this new identity, we're dead to sin, we're dead to that old law program. Who you, what you see folks, is being in great, being in Christ under the grace program is how God the Father is glorified. But I'm going to tell you what, being in Christ and living under the law program is an act of disobedience. And the God the Father is never glorified when you live that way. You know how I know that? These verses are telling me that. That's what we're learning here. He's re- By the way, why is it he's replaced the old with the what? With the new. He took out the old law program and he's replaced it with a new program called grace. And what we begin to see is that grace is the only way to restrain sin. Grace is the only way that we can access our new relationship. Grace is the only way that we can relate to our heavenly Father. And how he can then relate to you and I. Now look at 7.4, because there's a second that. That. Purpose, intent again. Why? Why are we dead to the law? One, so we can have a new relationship with someone new. But, but think about, I, I just think about that. What did Romans 1 to 5 tell us our relationship was with Christ as a sinner? We were his what enemy? We were ungodly. We were without strength. Isn't that something? But now what are we? Look at this new that we have. Then he says that ye should be married to another. So we have that new relationship to to him whom is raised from the dead. That. We should bring forth what? Fruit unto God. Isn't that interesting? Why is he, why do we have this new status, this new relationship, this this new, why is he raising us from the dead, if you will? So that we can do what? Have fruit. Look in chapter 6, again, quickly here. Look in chapter 6. Look at verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin. How many times, by the way? Just once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 9 there, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. When we went through this section, I told you, Christ put himself in, he submitted himself to death. If that verse says, Death hath no more dominion over him. That means death did have dominion over him at one moment, at one time. Those three hours of darkness on the cross, he was under the dominion of death. But then what happened? Up from the grave he arose. It didn't hold him. So it no longer has dominion over him so that he can do what? Verse 10, he liveth unto who? Notice it doesn't say he's alive unto God. It says he what? Liveth unto God. If we're raised in the newness of life, by the way, we are, then we can now do something we could never do before. We can live unto God. We can do, chapter 6 there, verse 19, the end of that, servants to righteousness unto holiness. We can do the end of verse 4 and bring forth fruit unto who? Who? God. That relationship, this new, the, the whole reason why the declaration of being dead to the law program, not underneath that at all, is so that we can come over here now and have a relationship with Christ that we've never had before, but it's designed for us to produce fruit, And I'll be honest with you, folks, that's what godly edification is all about. It's not for your own personal greedy advantage. People use it that way. Godly edification, folks, is designed to produce fruit in your life. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these is what? What? Have you ever thought about charity? Come come over to 1 Timothy 1. I I think about it quite a bit. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 5. See, we we look at faith and hope and charity. We look at these and we grow those three marks of spiritual maturity. (laughs) But in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul says, now the end of the commandment is what? Charity. See? What's the end of the commandment? Charity. Charity. But notice it comes out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. There's your faith and hope. There's your maturity. The pure heart. Think, pure, not, not, nothing dishonest in it. It's pure. How about a good conscience? Ooh, how are you doing with that one? Faith unfeigned, never dying, never wavering. He says over there to Timothy in 2 Timothy there about his mom, about his mom and, their, and and that unfeigned faith, that never, that never quitting, never, never giving away. The end of the commandment is what? Charity. Now come back to 7 of Romans. The goal of your personal edification is not for you to know, some, know more than someone else. The goal of your personal godly edification is so you can go do what Jesus Christ did. What did he do? What is Philippians 2? I know I told you Romans 7, I'm sorry. Philippians 2, what did Christ do? He, did, he went and served other people. He went, Philippians 2, verse 6, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? Verse 3, There, there let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. What did he do? Verse 6, who thought it not to be rob, who, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why in the world would he do that? Wednesday night, we're studying Matthew 26. We're going to get into the prayer issue, we're going to get into the garden scene and everything. Why does he do that? It was the will and the word of the Father to do. But who needed it? Sinners needed it. Mankind needed it. Humanity needed it. In Matthew 26 over there, he's going to say, I could pray right now to my Father. He'll send 12 legions of angels and rescue me from this moment. The very next verse he says, yeah, but, and this is RJ's paraphrase, okay. He says, yeah, but who else out there can fulfill the scriptures? Ain't nobody out there that can fulfill the scripture. He knew that. So when you come here in chapter 7 of Romans, he says, hey man, there's fruit for you to go and do. And y- your edification is designed so that you can go do what Christ did and that will serve those that need help. Folks, that's wonderful. And you know what? You can only do that in grace. You cannot do it in the law program. The law, we're going to see, Paul's going to try it. And you know what it led to? Frustration. And the law is only going to produce the opposite. Oh, it's, all, it's time to quit. Look at verse 5, 7 five. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto what? Isn't that interesting? But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve, there it is, in what? Newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You know what the oldness of the letter is? Thou shalt not, or thou shalt. That's the oldness. He says, no, we're serving in the newness now. You see, folks, we'll have to pick up in verse 5. You can only produce fruit unto God in grace. The law will only bring about death and frustration. Again, we're not in Romans 12 yet, which is where everybody runs for serve, 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 my reasonable service. And you know what happens? They get over there and they put themselves on an external performance-based system and they run into that block wall right there and they bloody themselves and they don't understand why they don't have any rejoice, joy, enjoyment. And it's because they're doing it under the wrong program. You know, most of Christianity today does not usually take you back to the Mosaic law. They take you to their own law. The Lord t- calls the Pharisees and He calls it the traditions of the elders. They usually don't take you back to the thou shalt nots because there's some stuff back there that they're not allowed to do that they love doing today. So they, they fibbit with the traditions and they, exer- and they make up their own law. Let's see? All right, I owe you five minutes. dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for our identity and our relationship with you. In your name we pray, amen.